Hi guys, my name's Jason Mountford and this is The Hedge Podcast. Thanks for joining me on another episode of the show. Hope you enjoyed last week. I, I thought that was a good good chat with Tom Poulter. Um, I always like doing a bit of an investment deep dive. I mean, obviously it's, it's stuff that I talk about and deal with every day, but it's kind of nice to just lay it all out over the course of half an hour, an hour. Um, and just run through some of those issues. And I know that uh, from the feedback that I get, you guys really like those episodes as well. So um, uh, Tom and I have agreed to do that on kind of a a semi-regular basis. So I'd love to get some feedback from you guys as well, uh, just to make sure that's something that you want. Um, You know, not every week or anything, but, you know, maybe once a quarter, something like that, we can uh, can jump into that kind of episode again. Hope you've been having a good week. This week on the show, I am going to keep things fairly brief. I want to talk through one uh, one main topic, um, which is liquidity. And liquidity is something that I tend to, I bring it up a lot. I kind of throw the terminology out there quite often, um, but I don't think I've ever actually just actually laid out exactly what I mean. And for a lot of you, you may already have a, a fair idea of what I do mean when I say liquidity. But I, I got a question um, on Instagram from John, and he has asked about a specific share um, that's going through some, well, suspended, basically. I'll get into the details in a bit, but you know, I thought that it, it prompted me that this is something worth talking about. Um, other than that, there's plenty of other stuff going on in... in in my world, in the world of a hedge, um, if you didn't, if you missed it last week, I am not going to do the the uh, live streams on Friday anymore. To be perfectly honest with you guys, I am struggling a little bit to keep up with uh, with the content, with putting this stuff out. I've got lots going on, uh, lots going on in my life at the moment. Lots of irons in the fire, or balls in the air, or whatever cliche you want to use. I got lots of stuff going on, um, and so it's it's just getting difficult basically. So I'm going to stick with trying to deliver a few things well rather than spreading myself too thin so i appreciate the support for you guys who have gone and checked that out but um you can always rely on the podcast to be to be here um every week and of course the website i'm still putting up articles on a regular basis there um so if you want to read more information about various stuff that's going on in the world of investing and personal finance make sure you head to the hedge.io and if you have a question you want to get answered on the show then do the same thing head over there there's links to email me. There is links to my social pages. Whichever way you prefer, you can find the links to everything on, on the website on the hedge.io as well. And you can also pick up that free um, ebook, Modern Investing Fundamentals. If you haven't got a copy of that yet, um, it's free. Drop your email. That will uh, be popped into your inbox. So liquidity. Let's talk about liquidity. What does it actually mean? Well, liquidity is essentially how quickly you can access your capital. And we talk about cash as the most liquid asset. And the reason for that is because you can go right now and spend the money you have in your bank account. It is fully liquid. If you don't have, you know, daily limits and that kind of stuff, you know, ignoring the kind of technical practical aspects of it, you can go and spend 10 million quid today if you had it in cash in your bank account. So, Whenever you're looking at liquidity from an investment standpoint, anytime you are giving up liquidity, you should expect a higher rate of return for that. And really, the, the most simple way that we start to see this is in is in um, other products that a bank will offer you. So generally speaking, the 
easier access you have to your money, the lower the interest rate on the account. So a regular current account or everyday account, instant access account, will generally have basically no interest on it. And that's because the bank knows that they can't really do a huge amount with that money in terms of lending it out and generating additional profit on it. They still will, but there's a limit to how much they, they can do that because they need to have enough in reserves and there's lots of specific calculations and regulations around that, but they have to have enough in reserves to be able to pay you your money right now today if you want it or transfer it or you know whatever the case may be. So when you're looking at um, trying to get a higher rate of return or a high rate of interest on your bank accounts, often you can look at um, fixed deposits, um, certificate of deposit they call them, call them in the US, term deposits they call them in Australia, where effectively you agree to give up some of that liquidity in order to achieve a higher interest rate. So again, the longer, generally speaking, the longer that period is, the better interest rate you will get. So, you know, if you're prepared to tie your money up for three months, you might get 0.5%. If you're prepared to tie your money up for five years, you might get 1.25%. They're just figures I've pulled out of the air, but broadly speaking, you know, that's kind of what you're looking at. The longer you're prepared to lock your money away up for, the less liquidity you have, and therefore the more you should be compensated for that. So when it comes to cash, it's pretty straightforward, pretty easy to understand. But I think it's really important to look at from when you're considering an, an investment an investment standpoint as well. So as I said, John's got in touch with me uh, and I'm going to read the question because it's an interesting one, ties in a lot of stuff that's going on at the moment. So um, John has sent me this question that says, love the pod great way to start. Thank you, John. Um, being fairly junior in my investing journey, I'm learning heaps through the episodes. Thank you. I do have one question. For 12 months plus, I've held shares in Evraz. Performance was strong, high dividend yield. It was a good investment. Rather naively, I didn't appreciate Evraz's position and therefore didn't foresee the sanctions following the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Dealings are currently suspended because of the sanctions. What does the future hold for investments in Evraz? Now, Unfortunately, um, unfortunately, John, I'm not going to actually answer your specific question, <laughs> which might seem annoying. But as people will know, if they listen to the, the, the podcast for a long time, I don't give specific financial advice. And if I start talking about um, what you should do about a particular share, that potentially could be construed as, as personal advice, as specific financial advice. So I'm not going to talk about that share in particular. What I'm going to talk about is the issues surrounding what's happened to that share. So, Everaz, for people that don't know, is uh, a company, uh, to be honest, I don't know heaps about it, but all, all I do know is that it is a company linked to Roman Abramovich, who is the Russian, uh, was the owner of Chelsea, I think he's potentially still technically the owner of Chelsea, he's having to sell that. But he has for obvious reasons, the company and he have, have come under the sanctions and the freezing of assets uh off the back of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So, so effectively what they've done, and I don't know how much of the company Roman Abramovich actually owns himself, but he owns, uh, I would imagine, a significant portion of it. Now, in order to make sure that he doesn't liquidate, again, using that term, liquidate any of his investments, they've frozen the trading of that particular company. And 
this has happened because of the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, obviously, but it can happen for loads of different reasons. So companies can um, decide themselves to to freeze their, their to free, suspend their shares, I should say, uh, and that can be for lots of reasons. It can be uh, it could be because there's um, maybe some trade, uh, some uh, takeover talks, merger talks, um, and there's some concern that maybe information would leak, which would lead lead to potential like uh, insider trading type situations. So in that circumstances, to kind of avoid the potential for that happening, companies will actually halt the trading of their shares themselves. Um, Or uh, the regulator can do it as well. So the Financial Conduct Authority if there's some slightly uh, unusual movement in the price of a share, so if it starts to go up a lot for no particular reason or it starts to go down a lot for no particular reason, the regulator could uh, can step in and, and halt the trade uh, of those shares. There's loads of different reasons why, why this can happen, but really the important thing is to understand is that it can happen. And it can happen, um, it can obviously have a big impact on the liquidity. So, in this instance, uh, John lost all the liquidity. He can't turn that those shareholdings into cash. Um, and the problem is with that is number one, he can't get hold of his money um, if he wants to spend on something else. But also, he has no control over the what's going to happen to that share price. So I would imagine, I don't know, but I would imagine when the markets first open on that share, there's going to be lots of people that rush to sell it, and the price is probably going to be hit pretty hard. Who knows what happens after that? Maybe it recovers quite quickly. Maybe it doesn't. Don't know. Um, but it sounds like it's a decent business. But either way, there's going to be some unusual price action on that share. So there's no way for John to get out of that before that. So whenever you're investing in a specific, a, a single share, it's again one of the one of the reasons why I like to recommend and why I push investment funds so much is because when you're investing in a fund that is a fund, a large cap fund that is widely traded, you have almost unlimited liquidity. You know, if you hold a Vanguard S&P 500 index fund, it's almost impossible for you not to be able to turn that into cash, you know, unless it is, um, you know, World War Three, and the, literally the stock markets are, are down all over the world or there's some technical glitch or something like that. In in normal times, in, in the ups and the downs of the market, you should always be able to turn that into cash. It's not to say it's always a good idea to do it. You know, if the market has absolutely tanked, if we had a Black Friday type incident, you wouldn't necessarily want to, but you can. You know, if, you, if you're down 40% and you want to get out, you can sell it. When it comes to individual holdings that's not necessarily always the case and it can be it can be when it actually is, is halted like this but it can also be because there's nobody else on the other side of the other side of the trade and this is not probably going to be the case if you're talking about massive companies like Tesla or Apple or or Tesco or whatever but if you're talking about small caps and if you're trying to play in the space where there's some big gains to be made there there isn't necessarily going to be somebody on the other side of the trade. Because I think sometimes that gets lost in the shuffle a little bit because markets are so liquid and you can buy and sell whenever you want. It can be easy to forget that actually somebody else is on the other side of that trade. So if you're buying something, you are buying it not from the company, not from the exchange, not from your app, not from Hargreaves Lansdowne or, or Trading212 or Robinhood or whoever you use. You are buying that from another individual or another institution or somebody else selling that on the other side. And 
if you're talking about a really small company, sometimes there isn't somebody else on the other side of that trade or isn't uh, then the spreads are way too wide for you to actually um, realistically sell that investment. So, it comes back to that that same thing, you know. If you are if you are looking at investing in individual assets like that, like smaller companies, um, like any individual stocks, part of what you need to do is you need to be able to justify an additional return over the potential reduction in liquidity. So it's not to say you shouldn't invest in small caps and penny stocks and stuff if you if you want to, you know, do whatever you want with your money. But if you're comparing. Um, you know, if you're comparing a, a small, uh, in getting into a, a, some particular small cap investments, some mining companies, some tech companies, some medical technology companies, whatever that you think have really big upside, that's fine. But you, when you're comparing that to using something boring, large and liquid like an, a, an, inde- an index fund or an actively managed large cap fund, you need to understand that you you have to generate a premium in order for that to be worthwhile. And normally that that is the case. That's why you're doing it, I would imagine, because you think you can get a better return. Um, But... You know, it's just important to factor that in. You know, if you if you think you can slightly outperform the market with some individual picks, are you actually taking into account the potential liquidity issues that you might have with that investment? The other area, and I have I've touched on this a little bit, and we actually touched on it a bit in the episode last week as well, is the is looking at the liquidity profile of investments that are not equities. So, anytime you're looking at any type of investment that is um, appears to be liquid, but the underlying asset that it holds isn't liquid, that can potentially cause issues. So we use real estate as the really big example. We talked a bit about, well, Tom talked a bit about the changes that the FCA are looking to make um, on that. But if you have a fund that is investing in uh, in property, property is not a liquid investment. You can't quickly turn a warehouse or a shopping center or a, a, a toll road into cash. You know, it takes a long time to find a buyer. Um, there can be lots of regulatory hurdles you need to jump through. And so having a fund or an ETF that is daily traded, that is appear, has the appearance of liquidity, um, isn't a problem when times are fine, isn't a problem when things are going as they should, but it can be a problem when things don't fit the normal parameters. And this, the big one, this was 2008. Again, I talked about this last week, but you know, we saw this in spades where funds were frozen so similar to what's happened to John's share, but it happened for the whole fund. Uh, and often for years, you know, I had clients who had a decent chunk of money in a property fund. It was frozen. And eventually the company said, look, you can't get the money out in the way that you want. We're going to pay you 10% or 15% of your holdings over the next 10 years, eight years, whatever it happens to be. And that's really awkward um, because you know there's nothing you can do about that. It's in the terms, terms and conditions that you agree to. You know they're doing that because they physically don't have the cash to pay everybody back. So uh, it can take a lot of time. The other really interesting one that is um, worth worth mentioning, especially here in the UK, are small private equity. Uh, investments. And again, I had Nick Bradley on um, a couple of weeks ago. We talked a lot about private equity. And here in the UK, it's particularly common um, for some of the sort of fringe or or less common tax-effective schemes. So if you've heard of the the, uh, terminology VCT and EIS, um, 
they effectively are, are tax-effective investments. They're quite complicated, so I'm not going to go into all the details, but they're basically cost-effective investments that invest in um, either unlisted companies, so private companies that are not listed on a stock market, often early stage companies and also other random things like um, like media like movie and film production so you know for example uh, if you if you watch TV shows like uh, BBC TV shows often you will see at the end when it gives you like uh, it will put the BBC logo up and then it will often give you like logos of other um, production companies or, or companies that were involved you often see ingenious media and Ingenious actually, uh, I don't know if they do currently, but in the past they definitely have run quite a lot of investment schemes where you can invest into an Ingenious fund, um, the money that is then taken to invest in media projects and when those are created, when those TV shows and those movies are made, their rights are sold to Netflix or you know whoever and then the money is then paid back to the fund and distributed to the people who invested in it. So in that kind of circumstance, if they're halfway through, you can put the money in to that scheme. If they're halfway through production, they have no money. They've spent it all. Tom Cruise has got it in his bank account. So again, those schemes can be very, very liquid. And in fact, there can often be no end date. You know, they can give you a range. You know, they might say, look, we expect to have your return back to you within five to seven years. But other than that, it's completely illiquid. You can't access the money. So again, when you're looking at that, you need to understand that you ne- the return needs to be pretty bloody good in order to justify locking your money away and having no no control over it. Um, VCTs and, and EISs, uh, again, they have specific uses, but they look at similar things. So they look at um, unlisted private companies. So I'll give you an example. Let's say, let's say I want to start a solar farm, right? I've got, let's say I'm moving back to Australia. I've, I'm going to go and buy a massive plot of land out in the middle of nowhere, um, and I'm going to whack up a thousand or a million solar panels, and I'm going to create a solar farm to sell energy back to the grid. What? people often do is they'll have projects like that they'll put some capital in themselves they'll raise money for the rest of the project and again return is provided back to the uh, to the investors over a period of time so in that instance you would need capital up front to actually go and buy and install all the solar panels you know after a couple of years it will be up and running good to go bringing in consistent income by selling that energy back to the to the grid uh, and then I can start paying back the investors that invested through that scheme. Again, up until that point, if you put money in, if you give me that money to buy those solar panels and install them day one, and then day 60, after two months, you want your money back, I can't give you the money back, mate. It's sold. It's spent. I've spent it on solar panels. Um, they're on a truck on the way over to get installed. So again, there's zero liquidity um, and there is nothing that can be done about that. So, you know, for some of these things, there are secondary markets where you can sell the rights to the future income, that sort of thing. But, you know, again, pretty pretty rare, uh, not liquid markets at all. And you're probably going to be selling them at a, at a fairly massive discount. So, look, I know I, I've kind of gone on a bit there about liquidity, but I just think it's important to, to lay out how many different examples there are in the investing world of investments that have low levels of liquidity. And it's one of the reasons why I really prefer to stick to um, large cap 
mainstream liquid investments for the vast majority of a portfolio. It's not to say you can't play in the margins with some of this stuff. You know, if you've got enough if you've got enough funds, you can have the core of your portfolio in, in the vanilla stuff, the mainstream stuff, and then play with some of the um, some of the uh, more fringe investments on the side. But again, it's just important to keep in mind. Actually, as I've been speaking, I've just thought of another one, which this is really um, this is a, a, another interesting one, particularly if you're talking about smaller sums of money. So, cryptocurrency, right now. A lot has been... Cryptocurrency is not being talked about quite so much at the moment. That's because the prices are not going crazy. But Ethereum was the big one that was getting talked about a lot last kind of cycle, sort of probably a year ago now. And um, one of the things a lot of people were talking about with Ethereum was the gas fees. And gas fees is what you uh, pay when you transfer. That's what they call transfer fees. The, the fees to use the network, basically. Um Unless you've got a lot of Ethereum, and even if you have a lot of Ethereum, the fees to transfer it are prohibitive. So you get the situation where actually you can't afford to transfer your money because you've got, I don't know, so you've got 200, 200 quid in Ethereum on a wallet and it's going to cost you 214 pounds or 198 pounds in fees to transfer that. Well, obviously then you can't, you can't do it. So um, just another example uh, of of uh, another asset where again if if you're looking to invest in something like that make sure you understand the liquidity position of it so if you're looking at your portfolio if you're looking at the um, ways you're trying to structure your money it's just really important to keep in mind you know you make sure you have enough cash liquid cash for expenses in the short term think about when you might potentially need to access the rest of your portfolio and just make sure that that liquidity profile really matches what your matches your life really um, if you're considering putting money into something that is really illiquid but it's a really good investment opportunity then that's not necessarily a bad thing you just have to be really really certain that you're not going to need that money sooner than that you know, if you're investing in a particular scheme which looks really good, you're comfortable with the actual underlying investments, but it's not going to give you the money back for seven years. You know, that's a really important, um, really important factor to to keep in mind. And don't don't underestimate how frustrating and 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 damaging to your financial position it can be if you're stuck in something like that that you literally cannot get out of. Um, Property course is the other one, but you know I've talked about that a lot in previous episodes. So um, I guess the last recap to do on that is just around the direct share investments as well. So again, if you're if you're someone who picks your own shares, um, if you're picking big large cap um, companies, you're probably not going to have a problem from a liquidity standpoint. If you're someone who likes to get in the weeds and try to find the hidden gems and you know the uh, the companies with a couple of million dollars, couple of million pounds market cap. If you play on the AIM market, that sort of thing, you know, definitely take into account the liquidity profile of that company. Look at how much gets traded on a daily basis. Um, uh, look at what the spreads are like on the on the bid and bid and offer and that sort of thing, and just take it into account. Really, I hope that's been useful, guys. You know, I think it's a it's a pretty fundamental concept, and I spent a little bit of time on it there, but I just think it's worthwhile. Um, sometimes revisiting some of those more fundamental points um, because I do tend to refer to them a lot when I'm talking about other stuff and you know when, when I'm having guests on like Tom last week as always you guys if you have any questions if you want me to answer anything on the show make sure you head over to the website thehedge.io drop me an email let me know I would love to hear from you um, and 
answer your questions. That's what I'm here for. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I really appreciate it. If you have time, actually, if you could go in your app and drop me a five-star review, that would be really helpful. I've not been getting many reviews lately um, and it would really help me out. If you haven't reviewed the show yet, just five stars, a couple of words, I would really, really appreciate it. Thanks so much, guys. Have a fantastic rest of the week and I will chat to you in seven days.